Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. If this is your first time here, my name is Thomas. I'm part of our church staff. Um, again, I do want to exhort all of our members to please make sure you come out to our members meeting next week. Uh, I know we all have busy lives, but if you are a member, uh, make it a priority to come. We're not only swearing in new members, but uh, as we've been actually mentioning, uh, we actually have been uh, wanting to have elders in our church and the process of like training up elders and um, this upcoming members meeting, we actually want to provide an update and even n- mention names of who we uh, want to nominate as elders. And so if you're curious about that, please come. And even if you're not curious, members, please, please attend. And if you're not a member of our church, let's know we do offer membership classes and um, we'll be providing that probably within the next month or two. So just uh, watch out for that. Um, and yeah, if you're new here or if you've been at our church, you know part of our vision for this upcoming year is uh, we want to be a church that reads scripture. Um, and that's a big reason why we're constantly emphasizing this Bible reading plan. And last week, we, it was mainly just reading the Psalms and a couple of videos. Uh, actually, this week, we're not even reading the Bible yet. We're still, we have a couple more videos and Psalms as well. And the reason why we're doing that is we don't want to just read the Bible religiously and just check it off. Even though sometimes we just tend to do that, we want to see the Bible as a story. And we want to understand what this story is saying to us. And so that's kind of the main reason why we're doing this. Um, so please join us. Uh, if you haven't started yet, it's more than enough time to join us in this Bible reading plan. And also, uh, I look forward to the CSB Bibles. Um, you know, the ESV is not the only translation out there. And so we want us to get used to the idea like, oh, like, let's kind of see a, a different version of what the text says. And if you have any questions about that, uh, we have a Q&R afterwards and you can stick around for it. Um, but yeah, but you know, we're, we've been going through a sermon series uh, in light of our vision called Read Scripture. That's been something that we want to emphasize. We want to be a church that's known, not just for being kind, not just for doing good for the city or doing good for each other, but we want to be known as a church. Where, like, like this church, they read their Bibles. Like they know the story of Scripture. And we've been spending, though, the past few weeks examining different questions, asking different questions about the Bible. So two weeks ago, we asked this question, first of all, uh, what is the Bible? Like, what is this thing that Christians talk about so much? And the, the answer that we gave is that the Bible, it is a divine and human library of books that tell one unified story, which leads to Jesus. That is our working definition of what the Bible is. And then last week, we talked about why do we need the Bible? Like, why is this something that we need in our life? And we heard how it's meant to shape reality for us in the way we view the world, how we view ourselves, how we view one another. That's what the Bible does. And it's meant to kind of awaken us to see what true reality is. Uh, Today, uh, we're going to ask the question, well, why should I trust the Bible? And I might get in trouble today because I have a lot to say about this. The the worst of me is going to come out. And so just know uh, I, uh, I, I look forward to today. Uh, I can't wait to talk about some of these things, and Q&R should be really fun if you come today. So with that being said, if you have your Bibles or if you have your programs, if you turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 to 20, we're going to look at this passage where Jesus speaks in the Sermon on the Mount. And at our church here, one thing we do is when we read a passage from Scripture, we believe that uh, we worship a God who is alive and is living, and he speaks through his words. So can we all rise together and stand as we Read the scriptures for today. So Matthew chapter 5, starting verse 17, this is Jesus speaking to the crowds, and he says this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. 
Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the reading of God's word. Let me pray for us before we begin. Lord, speak to us today. Would your word come alive as we go through it and as we hear, O oh Lord, us to know how we can understand what this is even meant to be in our lives. And so bless, O oh Lord, this time together. May your spirit move. We pray this in son's, your son's name. Amen. You may please be seated. Back in the summer of 2022, there was a Netflix documentary that had a lot of buzz. You might have heard about it. It was about a football player who played at Notre Dame called Manny Teo. I don't know if you guys know who that player is. Uh, he was an all-American football player, and he is high NFL prospect, so really well-known. Uh, but if you watch the documentary, it has nothing to do with his football career. It all had to do with about the story of how he met this woman, and he was dating her, and he always gave shout-outs to this girl, how he loves her, and it's his girlfriend, and so forth. But when you find out the nature of their relationship, you realize it's kind of weird because they met online, and he never met her in person. Like they only texted each other, they only chatted online, they only even chatted on the phone, but he never actually saw her. And yet they were dating, they're in a relationship, he always gave her shout outs, and you later discover that she was never real. She was a person impersonate, someone was impersonating this person, and they put a picture online, and that's why like, the term catfishing, it got popularized because of the story. He got catfished. Uh, and, and when you watch this documentary, you're almost thinking like, oh my gosh, like why would you trust someone like that? Somebody you never met? Like why would you give your life to somebody? Why would you commit yourself and give these shout outs to a person who you don't even know? You never really saw them. It, it's very bizarre. And even as, as strange as that is, I think a lot of us in the church, we do the same thing. We do the same thing with our Bibles. A lot of us here, we trust the Bible you come here on Sundays, and there's no questions asked. We're preaching through this every single Sunday, and you, we all just go, yeah, for sure. The Bible is something that we have that we allow to influence our view of money, our view of marriage, our view of sexuality, and we just kind of, yeah, of course, if it says it here, let, I want to listen to it. But what makes you trust this? Like, why does this have that type of access or authority in your life? Have you ever read it before? Like, I know you, read, you heard snippets, but how, do you even know, like, what this is about? Like, have you read the Bible in your life before? And if you have read it, don't parts of it, like, bother you? Aren't there parts where you're like, you know, that's, yeah, it's kind of weird. It's pretty strange. And if it doesn't bother you, then I have even bigger questions to ask. The, the late Rachel Held Evans, by no means evangelical, but she says this about the Bible. She says, quote, I have come to regard with some suspicion that those who claim the Bible never troubles them. I can only assume this means they haven't actually read it. And I think there's some truth to that. Because while, you know, if you actually read this thing, there's a lot of interesting stuff it says. And, you know, some of you, you might have been exposed to it, or maybe not, but you just simply trust it. You go, well, my parents told me it's God's word, so it's God's words to me, and that might be you. I also know some of you are like me, where like, you're curious, and you've paid attention to the parts that the pastors don't preach on. 
You pay attention to those stories that are there. You go on the Reddit threads and you kind of research this thing. And you go, oh, man, I got questions. Like, I got questions about this. I have doubts. And the worst thing, though, is the, your doubts, the last place you feel like you could raise them is in the church. I don't know about you, but I come from that church context where if you have questions like, hey, man, is this really like God's word? Like, what about this story? Like, there's just like this image of this pastor going, how dare you question God's word? We don't do that here. That's almost like the, the culture I feel like a lot of us grew up in. And so what ends up happening is, again, you take one religious class in college and your world gets rocked because you hear all these things your church never taught you about the Bible. You watch one YouTube video about some, quote, expert who debunks the Bible, and we just don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to make sense of that. And so today, what I want to do is all the questions and all the doubts you might have, we're going to resolve it in the next 30 minutes. All the curiosities you have, and, you know, as I say that, you know, obviously that's probably not going to happen if, you, if that's you. Uh, but I feel like all of us, we want that. We will almost wish we could have a session like that. And it doesn't work that way. The Bible is this deep journey you're supposed to go on. So for anyone who, like, if you never asked the question of why should I trust this, or if you are somebody going, you know, I haven't thought about it for a long time, but yeah, I do have some deep questions about it. I actually have very modest goals, uh, three in particular. One is, uh, I hope at this church, you can feel like you have permission and it could feel safe for you to ask questions. It's totally okay. I know a lot of us just act like we fully believe in everything that we profess. Deep down inside, though, maybe we just haven't processed enough. Just know that at this church, I hope you could feel completely safe for your questions that you have and even to experience moments of doubt. I hope you could feel safe here. Another goal is I may not have satisfying answers for you today, um, but I hope if you do have deep questions, I can point you to the right direction. And if there's anything I missed, again, we have a little Q&R afterwards. We'll love just to chat with you for a few minutes just to see if there's anything that you have particulars about. Uh, but the last goal is for those of you, you, you do call yourself a, a Christian, you read your Bible and you believe in this. I want to help you to have a working knowledge of why you can trust this. Like why as a believer should I be able to trust this? I hope at the very least you can walk away with a simple answer of why so. So today we're going to talk about three things in regard to this topic of trust in the Bible. Number one, the problem of the Bible. We're going to go deep, dude. Let's talk about the problems because there are some problems. The problem of the Bible. Secondly, why should we trust the Bible? In light of the problems, why should we trust it? And lastly, how can we trust the Bible? Like, how can I grow in really trusting this thing to shape my life? So first, let's go through the problem of the Bible. Matthew 5, verse 17 to 20, the passage we just went through. This passage is described as one of the most significant passages about the Bible because it is one of the few passages that talks about the Bible. More specifically, this is uh, the passage where Jesus, for the first time in his ministry, he talks about how to view the Bible. And uh, we know that because he doesn't use the word Bible, but if you notice in verse 17, he uses the word the law and the prophets, which is how, back in Jesus' days, how they would describe the Bible. Because our Bible here, uh, we mentioned this a few weeks ago, it's a little bit different than how it was in the first century. The Bible that Jesus used looked more like this. You have what's called uh, the law, the Torah, which contains the first five books of the Bible, and those were scrolls. And then you had something called the prophets, which contained all the prophetic books. And you had something called the writings, which is all like the poetic books and the history books and so forth. And first century Jews, they received these collection of scrolls and they all genuinely believe this is not just people writing it, but God is speaking through these people 
saying a word to us. Like everybody who was a Jew believed this, including Jesus, who was a rabbi. He was a Jewish rabbi. And Jesus, when he describes what this is, he tells everybody in verse 17, do not think I've come to abolish this. I have not come to, the word abolish, it's literally to tear down a building. Jesus is saying, I have not come to deconstruct this. That's not what I'm here for. And the reason why Jesus is saying this is because his audience, they all trusted in this. They really believed, like, no, this is God's word. But you, Jesus, who are you? Like, he's kind of doing some wonky things. So they're not really sure about Jesus. So Jesus has to make this clarification. They trust the Bible, not sure about Jesus. Now, the irony about that is today, most people that I meet, they're actually pretty cool with Jesus. If you say, hey, I actually like Jesus, I don't think anyone will have a problem with you. But people have a problem with the Bible. People have a lot of issues with this. And if you don't know why, just try reading it. Like, read it through. There's a lot of crazy stuff in here. And you don't have to go far. Just start in Genesis, the first book in the Bible, and by chapter three, you run into this talking snake. This snake that's talking. And as Christians, we say we believe this, that there's a real snake, and he was talking to somebody. It's kind of crazy if you didn't grow up in the church. Or a lot of us, again, we grew up in a context where we read these stories, and it's told in a way that sounds like amazing and beautiful. Like when Israel enters into the promised land, and the walls of Jericho fall, and they're battling people. Like the way that we're taught is like, wow, God, he is faithful to his promises. He is with his people, and he battles our fights together. And that's what we read when we read our Bibles. But when I wasn't a Christian, and I was reading those stories, I'm like, I don't read that at all. You know what I read? I read genocide. That sounds like genocide. People are being killed who are men, women, and children, They're being killed by the Israelites. And if you read carefully, it sounds like ethnic cleansing because there are Canaanites who are being killed. There are non-Israelites being killed. It's kind of crazy. What do you say about that? And not only that, but the entire Old Testament, like there's a lot of crazy stuff. Sexism, racism, polygamy, murder, rape, gang rape, war. And it's not the heathens that are doing this. It's not the enemies doing this. It's God's people. God's people are doing this. Like a lot of those people who I thought were like biblical heroes, if when you get older, you realize like, wow, they're pretty messed up. Abraham, somebody we view as a man of faith. When you look at his life closely, he was a polygamist, a misogynist, an absentee father. He had a lot of messed up things about him. David, man after God's own heart. He wrote most of the Psalms, a lot of the Psalms that we sing And yet he used his power as king to commit adultery and to murder the husband of the woman that he had adultery with. There are pastors who are canceled for a lot less than that. There are leaders, political leaders, who we would shun who did a lot less than that. And yet we sing these songs that David wrote, even though he did all that. King Solomon, somebody who was wise and filled with the wisdom of God, he built the temple of God. And yet he has 700 wives And it's not like he loved all of them. Back then, when you would commit polygamy, you would do it for a power play. So he was using all these women to fulfill his sexual pleasure or for political influence. And not only did he have 700 wives, he had 300 concubines. He is like the Hugh Hefner back in the Israelite days. And not only that, but he was the first king to own slaves in Israel. So he was a slave owner. 
It's like, holy cow, this is Solomon. How do we make sense of that? A lot of jacked up stories. Not only jacked up stories, but there are a lot of distracting questions when you read the Bible. Like, why does the Bible, if you really are paying attention, why does it seem to have so many contradictions and errors? For example, those of you who are going to read your New Testament, you know the gospel of Mark and Matthew? When the women come to the empty tomb, Mark and Matthew says, and they were greeted by one angel who told them, Lord Jesus, that he's not here. But Luke and John, when they tell the same story, there are two angels saying that the body's not here. I thought the Bible was inerrant. I thought there are no errors. Why are two different things going on in those gospels? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all of them describe Jesus. At the end of his ministry, he went to the temple and turned over the tables. And after that, he was crucified. Gospel of John, the beginning of his ministry, that's when he overturned the temple and the tables. How do you make sense of that? Book of Joshua, when they were battling, they said, and the sun stood still. God stopped the sun so that it was daylight as they battled. But we know today, modern science says, the sun's not even moving. The earth moves. Why do the Bible says the sun moved? That's clearly something's off there. How do we make sense of these questions? Well, here's another question. How do I even know the Bible that's in my hand right now is the same Bible that Jesus was using? This book is over 2,000 years old, at least, and that's just the New Testament. How do we know the words are preserved? Did you ever watch the Da Vinci Code? Don't you know there's a lot of controversy about that? Why do you trust this? Or why are there so many even different translations in the Bible? Like, why are we doing the CSB? I thought it's the Bible. Why are there all these translations out there? How do we make sense, make sense of that? And speaking of which, why do Christians seem to pay attention so much to some commands, but they ignore a bunch of other commands? For example... Everyone here, I think most of us, if you grew up in the church, we go, oh yeah, the Ten Commandments, we should follow that. Those are God's rules, those are God's laws, let's follow it. And it comes from Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. That's what the Ten Commandments are for. But you know there's more chapters of commands in Exodus and Deuteronomy, right? There's like way more commands outside the Ten Commandments. Why don't we follow those commands? Why only the Ten? Why don't we avoid eating pork? Why don't we avoid eating shellfish? Why don't we make sure that we don't mix wool and linen together when we make our fabric? Those are all laws in the Bible. Why do you Christians ignore that? Why is it that there are even so many different interpretations of the Bible? Like the Bible, like some churches baptize babies, some churches don't baptize babies, some churches ordain men as pastors, some churches ordain men and women as pastors, some churches they see the gift of tongue as a gift of angels, some people if you speak in tongues you are possessed by the devil, like what is going on here? There's all these questions that are taking place. And not only that, so many horrible practices are done in the name of the Bible. A lot of you grew up through your pastors or your parents, when they want you to do something, they'll say, because the Bible says you should do it. But you know there's a lot of messed up things that happen because people said the Bible says. How do we explain the Crusades in the 10th to 12th century where five million people died and it was all done under the name of the Bible says. How do we explain the African slave trade in the 15th to 18th century where the effects we still feel today all under the name of the Bible says? How do we explain how today there are men in Utah who still take three to four different wives because of this reading of the Old Testament and see the patriarchs, they take multiple wives all under the name of the Bible says? How about parents who refuse to take their children to the hospital and they just pray over their children's health because of this wonky reading of James chapter 5, verse 14, all because we say the Bible says. What do we say about that? And what about our personal struggles? 
where it's really hard to really listen to the Bible because there's a lot of passages that frankly do not align with cultural sensibilities or even personal, personal taste. The Bible says sex is reserved for a husband and a wife. How oppressive. This is my body. I should be able to do what I want with it. The Bible says that marriage is between a man and a woman. How homophobic is that? You believe that? The Bible says women should submit to their husbands. How sexist is that? Oh my gosh, what in the world? That says, it says that? The Bible says members submit to elders. That is spiritual abuse waiting to happen. What is going on there? The Bible says there are people who go to hell. What about my unbelieving parents? What about my unbelieving siblings, my unbelieving children, my unbelieving friends? And those are the things that are there if you pay attention to it. And there are some of you, you wrestle with the Bible because you know these questions are out there. And some of us, maybe we never wrestle with that, but if you hear that, it, it should do something to you. It should shake you a little bit. And I just want to know, let you know that if you are there and you're wrestling with these questions or you suppress them because you don't want to deal with it, but it's kind of like you just know it's there, I want you to know it's totally okay to wrestle with that. It's totally fine. When I do premarital counseling with couples, I am way more worried about the couples who are not fighting than the couples who are fighting. Sometimes I meet couples, they've been dating for like three years. I'm like, when did you last fight? They're like, never. We never fight. We just, we're just so compatible. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> You're so compatible. Oh, and what about marriage? What do, you, what do you imagine fighting about? We can't imagine the thing. I'm like, oh, okay. Now, it could be they're just very peaceful people. Like they're half angels and something like, oh, you're going to be fine. Um, but also it could be, and this is more often the case, you don't really know each other. Like you haven't dug deep. You haven't seen the, the parts that make you human yet. Your relationship, in other words, it's kind of superficial. Not as deep as it should be. Versus other couples, man, they're fighting all the time. And they get worried, like, man, we have conflict. Like, should we even get married? And potentially, it might be toxic. Potentially, yeah, maybe it's just too much. Or, or you're fighting so much and you're wrestling so much because you're getting really deep with each other. You're understanding each other. You're getting close. And I think in a similar way, that's how it is with the Bible. Some of us, this doesn't bother us. Nor does anything I say, it never bothered you. And it could be you're just a simple person who I just believe, and that's okay. So there are people, that's totally fine. But it could also be that you have a very superficial relationship with this. You haven't paid attention to what's going on. And there's others of us who, you know, you, you read this and you go, I'm paying attention. And there are things that bother me, that I wrestle with, that I'm not allowed to talk about in the church. And again, full permission, it's okay. In fact, not only is it okay, but you should wrestle with it. That's what the Bible is for. The Bible is designed for you to pay attention to those parts. It's meant to evoke you to think what is going on here because when the Bible challenges you, that's when the Bible can change you. The Bible is designed to be that way. You ever watch the movie Inception by Christopher Nolan? Beautiful movie, awesome movie, frustrating ending. You remember if you guys watched it? Spoiler, so if you don't want to listen to spoiler, plug your ears. But at the end, remember the whole spinning thing where is this reality or is it not? And Leonardo DiCaprio, he's with his kids. He's like, he wants to make sure is this reality. He spins it. And as it's spinning, he just hugs his kids. And you don't know if it's going to, is this real? Is this really what's going on? And because the top thing is keep spinning. And the movie ends. And you have no idea what's happening. 
And if you ever listen to Nolan interviews, he's like, I, I did it on purpose. I want you guys to talk about it. I want you to talk, hey, what's going on here? Is this real? Is it not? That's his whole purpose. The Bible works in that way many times. Read the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah is really weird because there's no clear ending. God just goes, oh, are you angry, Jonah? Huh? Do you do well to be angry? And that's it. And it's like, what in the world? What kind of ending is that? The Gospel of Mark, read that book. You know how it ends? And the women saw the angel and the angel said, Jesus is not here, he's gone. And the women are just scared. The end. It's like, what in the world? The Bible is designed for you to be questioning, to think about these things, to wrestle with it. Because then that's what the Bible is for. It's meant to challenge you so that it could potentially change us. And again, a lot of us, we don't want to go there because, and a lot of churches don't want to go there because they're worried if you go there and you ask these hard questions and it might lead to doubt because you, you see all these problems and when you go to doubt, it might lead to deconstruction and you become an ex-evangelical and you run away from the faith. And that is very possible. Look at those doubts, look at those problems. You might end there because a lot of people have ended there. Or you also might end up like the same people who see all those problems. They wrestle with their doubts And through those doubts, somehow, something about it makes their faith a lot stronger. That was me. Uh, I was somebody who grew up as not a Christian. And people told me, all these Christians, like, the Bible is the word of God, read this thing. And I'm like, fine, I'll read it. And I read read it, and I don't trust this. I'm not going to trust something unless I really understand what's going on, if it's going to shape my life. I read it. I had so many questions. I I was very curious. I'd watch YouTube videos. I went on all the secret Reddit threads. I talked about all the problems in the Bible. And I came away from that whole experience not more shaken, but strangely more strengthened. It became very real. It became really, like, interesting to me. And that's the risk we take when we come into understanding and seeing the problems. Because the Bible, it's designed that way. It's designed for you to tackle it. So given all that, if there's all these, quote, problems in the Bible, why should we trust it? What makes us have confidence that, hey, we should trust this to guide us and to shape us? And this is often when churches or pastors or lecturers, they'll give a lot of evidential reasons, and they they can be helpful. They can be helpful. So for example, like the manuscripts, like, hey, how do you know this is really what, you know, Jesus' day and our day, how do we know they're accurate? And usually you'll see a chart like this, where it shows all these different historical manuscripts, I'm not sure the chart's up there. We're like, oh, look at all these historical manuscripts. There's something, you know, by the Republic, by Plato, the works of Caesar, Iliad, by Homer. And you see all these different copies where, you know, they were written thousands of years apart from the original. And we have like seven copies or we have like 10 copies or we have 600 copies. But the New Testament, that was written only 25 years after the original time that it was written. And we have 24,000 copies of this. So we know, and it's, no, it's true. Uh, if, again, Q&R. Uh, we, could, we could say with uh, strong confidence that the Bible that Jesus used, it's the same Bible that we have today uh, because of all this whole science that's going on here. And some of us, that's really comforting for us. Or for others of us, you know, all the discrepancies that's taking place, like we, we, we wrestle with that. And what's actually helpful to deal with those discrepancies is to remember that the Bible, it's not just a divine book, but it's a, it's a human book. I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but some of us, what gets us really tripped up is that golden tablet view of the Bible. Uh, The golden tablet view is, how did the Bible get written? The Apostle Paul was in jail, and all of a sudden, the electricity zapped him, and the Holy Spirit's in him, he's like, God says, and he just starts writing all this stuff, and we think, oh, that's how the Bible got worked together. And so when you see these discrepancies, you go, how could God God is speaking different things? Because it's all one voice. 
because we think it's God's word. And it's true. We believe it's God's word. It's divine. But it's also human, meaning God used people. And so when Paul says something and James says something, sometimes they say things that sound different. They live in different times, different places. And that's actually the fun part of the Bible. In other words, you don't have anything to worry about when you find those discrepancies. Because the Bible is both the divine book and it's a human book. There is no scandal in this. There is no, it's not hiding this. Churches should not hide this at all. Where It's fun when you see these apparent discrepancies and you try to figure out what's going on. It's great. Actually, I actually hope that people bring them up because I'd want to talk about those. But again, those are like the different resources that are out there. And if those things are helpful for you, awesome. Like there's so much out there. And I could point you to so many more. But I find it rare for people who have a hard time trusting the Bible or even like are apathetic. I have a hard time knowing that, oh, this stuff helps you that much. Like I don't know if anybody going, man, Joshua, is this real? Oh, but there's 24,000 manuscripts. So it's for sure must be like, I don't know many people where it does that for them, where that's the thing that gives you confidence to trust this. So what is it about the Bible that should make us trust in the Bible? Why should we trust the Bible? And I want to give a very simple answer to this question. Why should we trust the Bible? Simple. Next slide. Because we're followers of Jesus. That's a simple reason. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is why we trust the Bible. Jesus saw all the problems in the Bible, all the apparent problems, all the supposed crazy stories, all the supposed discrepancies, all the questions about the Bible, and yet Jesus, he was a Jewish rabbi. He read the Bible, he memorized the Bible, he taught the Bible, he lived the Bible, he trusted the Bible. And if we say we trust Jesus and we want to follow him, then we are to have the same type of relationship with the Bible that Jesus does. One author named Andrew Wilson, he says it like this, quote, I don't trust in Jesus because I trust the Bible. I trust the Bible because I trust in Jesus. I love him, and I've decided to follow him. So if he talks and acts as if the Bible is trustworthy, authoritative, good, helpful, and powerful, I will too. I mentioned before, my wife, she loves Korean dramas. Like she loves Korean dramas, and I do not love them. People recommend to me different Korean dramas all the time. You know, you should watch this. I'm like, you know, maybe I will. I never do. It's just not my thing. Like, I just don't like the genre. But there's one person who, like, man, when this person, like, they don't even know this, but, like, your movie taste, like, I trust it. Like, they're like my rotten tomatoes. Like, when they say a movie is good, I'm like, I'm going to watch that thing. Because uh, I, I just know, like, yeah, our taste is really similar. And this person told me, like, hey, hey, I know you don't like Korean dramas, but there's one drama you should watch. It will change your life. It's called Reply 1988. And I was like, what in the world is Reply 1988? And so those of you who don't know about it, just know I, I previewed it because I'm like, what, you know, what's this show? And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's on Netflix. It's 20 episodes long. Like, Mandalorian is 10 episodes, and I could barely get through that. 20 episodes, and each episode, an hour and a half. I'm like, dear God, 
What in the world is a show? And the show, the premise, there's no action. There's no zombies. There's not even a love story. It's about family. Like, family? What in the world? And so I, but I tried it. I watched the first episode. So boring. Oh, my gosh. So cool. I mean, it takes place in, the ni- in 1988. It's in Korea. All these characters, I don't know who they are. They're all old or these young folks. Like, nobody's my age. I don't know how to kind of relate to this. They have these kooky jokes that are really weird and off-putting. And I, just, I was tempted, like, dude, let's just stop. I am not going to endure 20 hour-and-a-half episodes of this drama. But I kept trying because my friend would tell me, hey, it's the best Korean drama. It will change your life. And I trusted my friend. And so I finished the series. And let me tell you, best Korean drama I've ever seen in my life. In fact, it changed my life. You know why? Man, like that, that show made me look at family in such a different way. I'm like, family? Mm, it's all about family. And like the passing of time, like, oh my gosh, like this is the precious moments when our kids are young, my parents are healthy. Like this is the time. When I hear the song, the soundtrack, I get like emotional. Like it just gets me, this show. Like I love this show. It changed my life. And I'm so happy that I I trusted my friend because through that show, I really, really changed and I really grew and I appreciated it. And in a similar way, like the, the Bible, you could choose to research it all you want. Just like I could have, you know, watched this show, look up on Wikipedia and Rotten Tomatoes. And if that helps you, that's fine. But as followers of Jesus, the main reason why we trust this and we go through this is because we trust Jesus. The, the, the boring parts, the, the weird parts, the controversial parts, like the parts that don't make sense. It, it, it could be hard to swallow. Unless there's someone who you trust saying, hey, keep going. Keep going here. Because when we choose to follow Jesus, what we're saying is I'm following you all the way. How you view life, how you view death, how you view flourishing, how you view marriage, how you view this book. I'm trusting you in all that. Now, if you're somebody who, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a seeker. I don't even follow Jesus. That's no problem. This book, it's not binding on you. This book, it might be true, but this book is meant to be an invitation to you. But for everyone else who says, no, I follow Jesus, this book is for you. It's a covenant document. It's meant to be how you understand who this is that you are following. It's meant for you. And whatever, how Jesus views this book is how we view it. Now, how does Jesus view this, this Bible? And we see in our passage today, he, it's very, he summarized in a very simple way. First is Jesus, he sees this, passage, this Bible as a story. It's a, it's a story that all leads to him. Verse 17, look what he says. I have come not to abolish the law, but to obey it. He doesn't say obey. What does he say? To fulfill. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Fulfill means to bring something to its appointed goal. Because Jesus did not see this book as a rule book that you just follow and listen to for everybody who's here. But no, it's a story. A story of how God is doing something in this world. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And so you're supposed to read it like a story. That's why, why don't we keep Old Testament kosher? Why don't we circumcise our children as a law? Why don't we sacrifice? It's because we're a different part of the story right now. Because the Bible's a story. Not only is it a story, but Jesus, he saw the Bible as completely trustworthy. It's something he fully trusted. Verse 18, look what Jesus says. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. 
The iota, that is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. The dot, that is literally like a punctuation mark in the Hebrew alphabet. And Jesus is saying every small part in this entire story, it's going to happen. It's all true. You could trust every single part of it, even the crazy parts. And Jesus, he also sees the Bible as not only as a story, as true, but as authoritative. As authoritative. It's meant to have do something in our lives. Look at verse 19, what he says. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus ties how you relate to the Bible with how you relate to him. You, lose, you don't care about this, you dismiss this, you dismiss him. You pay attention to this, you follow this, you teach others to follow it, you are great to him. You cannot separate these two according to Jesus. It is meant to have authority over your life. Jesus saw the Bible as, true, as a story that's trustworthy and authoritative. And if you follow Jesus, we're also meant to see it the same way. So how are you doing with the Bible? How are you doing following Jesus? It's an oxymoron to say, I follow Jesus, but I have no idea what's going on here. Because Jesus says the two are tied together. This is meant to be binding over your life. Trust this with your life. And that leads to the last point, where how? How can I trust the Bible? For those of you, you have problems still, you have questions, like how do you grow to trust this? Uh, if, you are, if you believe in the Bible, but you're like, oh, I want to get deeper to trust it, like how do you grow in it? And again, another very simple answer. It's, this is the answer right here. Read it. Just read it. I, I know um, there's an Oxford woman, she wrote a bi- biography that I'm reading, and she was saying she used to always make fun of Christians for believing in this ancient book that's 2,000 years old, and she thought they're just so stupid, like anti-intellectual, like how could you, you know, do your research, man, look how life is. And she was, what shook her was someone challenged her, like, well, have you ever read this thing? And she realized, oh my gosh, I never read this. I heard snippets of it. But I've never read it, and I am now doing the exact thing that I mocked other Christians about, which is branding them as anti-intellectual, branding as not doing the research, but I myself even never read this. And so she wanted to do her homework before she dismissed this thing. Read it. Read it and see what happens. Well, what about all the problems, though? Like all the problems we encounter, do we just ignore it because follow Jesus? If you're following him, then don't you know, just ignore that thing. Not at all. Not at all. You know what Jesus does after this passage we just read, Matthew 5? You know what happens after this? Jesus keeps talking about the Bible. And you might be familiar with it, but the rest of chapter 5, he has this phrase that he repeats over and over again. It's on the slide. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. You have heard it was said, but I say to you. And he does this six times. Why? Why is Jesus doing this? And some of us, at a superficial level, we think, oh, he's disagreeing with the Bible. He's saying the Bible, the Old Testament says this, but I say he's canceling it. But that cannot be what he's doing because he just said he's not doing that in verse 17. So what's Jesus doing here? And it's helpful to understand how the Bible worked back then. Uh, again, uh, next slide here is uh, there are, the Bible, it's the, the Torah, it's the, it's, the, it's the prophets, and it's the writings. And it's a lot of confusing stuff. Like, how do you make sense of that? So in the first century, all these rabbis came together. They put their thoughts into it. And this is what they came up with, the Mishnah and the Talmud. There are these two books where rabbis, and if you read it, they're just rabbis talking about what they think Deuteronomy says, what they think Leviticus says. It's almost like a commentary. And they're just talking about the Bible. 
And Jesus, he's actually quoting from this, saying, you heard it was said that you should do this. But I say to you, and he goes, that's not what, that's not what the Bible is saying. In other words, Jesus, what his big rebuke is, is not the Bible itself, but how people are interpreting the Bible. That's where you get things messed up. And that's still the problem, I think, today. The reason why a lot of us have problems with the Bible or run into problems with the Bible, it's often not the Bible, but how we get this Bible and understand it. Uh, Basic hermeneutics, if you ever heard that fancy word, it's how do you understand the Bible? Very simple. This is a simple breakdown of how to understand the Bible. There's revelation, there's interpretation, and there's application. What does the Bible say? How do we understand it? Interpretation. And how do we live it out? Application. Now, the wonky part happens when this takes place. When revelation and interpretation are one. This is what it says. Do it like this. The hard work of really, wait, is that what it says? Like, what's going on here? And that's how you get these wonky interpretations of some people say, well, the Bible defends slavery. And some people say, no, the Bible abolishes slavery. What are you talking about? The Bible defends war. versus No, the Bible actually goes against war. Like, that's how you get into those conversations. Because the Bible, it's actually this beautiful piece of music that has a bunch of different composers. And some composers, they play it beautifully. And others, they play it horribly. And what we have to do to get back to the right tune is we need to constantly talk about it. Constantly read this, reread it, discuss it, get together and see what is this text saying so that we could get back to the heart of what the Bible is saying. That's why Jesus always talks about the Bible. He's always talking about because that's how you get back to the heart of what the story is actually applied in our lives. The Bible talks a lot about justice and mercy. How do we practice that today? A lot different than 2,000 years ago. In fact, a lot different than even 20 years ago. If you just have a 20-year interpretation from our parents' generation of how we apply justice today, it looks wonky. How does justice and mercy look like today here in our time? The Bible talks a lot about, hey, be fruitful and multiply. That's the first command in Genesis. Are we all supposed to have kids? Are we all supposed to have multiple kids? You know two is not multiplication. It's supposed to be three. So I'm good. But all of you, like, what's going on? Right, like, is that true? What do we do? So talk about it. You know, the Bible says four times in the New Testament as a church, it's, it's even more than the public reading of scripture. You know what the command is for all believers when you gather together? Greet each other with a holy kiss. Let's go, all right, I guess, what, what, what should we do? Should that be our new tradition? What does it look like today? We got to talk about it. We're supposed to discuss it. And that's how the Bible comes alive. That's how all the, 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 the problems that are there, but also the, the beauty of the Bible, it's now seen with how we take the story that does not change and apply it to our story, which is always changing. This is what the Bible is for. And as we keep reading it, what's, what's going to happen is you're going to begin to trust in it. And that's really important because whether you know it or not, as you navigate through life, you are trusting in some story to guide you. There is something that you are trusting in, something to help you make decisions, to avoid situations. You are trusting in something to be your GPS navigation. And oftentimes, more likely, it's always your personal experiences, the things you've gone through that you're trusting in. I regularly see a professional counselor all the time. I still see a professional counselor just to make sure like, I'm not going crazy and I'm leading church well, leading my family well. And I realize the main thing he does is he makes me think back about my past and goes like, why do you believe that like, to this day? 
Like, for example, uh, my counselor, one thing he noticed that I kind of knew, but he just brought out in the air is when someone tries to get close to me, I will back away. Like, if you were a friend of mine, he said, you're not just my friend, Tom. Like, you're my best friend. You're my only friend. I'm just like, yo, like, <laughs> just, you need to back away. And when, you know, when I thought about that, like, why is that such a uh, thing for me? You know, I could think of it intellectually. Well, you just need boundaries, man. You just need hex boundaries. Or, you know, it's just not healthy. Like, I can say it in that way, but if I'm really honest with myself, uh, I've had experiences where people told me, like, hey, let's be best friends. I'm like, okay, I'll be your best friend. And it didn't turn out okay. A lot of pain and damage that happens. So now, my, and the body is really smart. It protects you from danger. So now when I hear that, I'm just like, nah. Like, I've been down this rabbit trail before. And that's how a lot of us function. Some of you, you're part of this church. You've been here for a while. No desire to join the community. Like, there's zero desire. I'm not going to join a community group here. I'm not going to talk to people. And, you know, it's because like I'm uncomfortable or I'm new. But for some of us, deep down inside, it's because I've been part of a community before. And it didn't go too well. So I'm going to keep my distance. I'm going to just observe and see. And that's okay. But just know what's driving that is what you've gone through. It's your personal experience. Or some of you, like, you're, you're, you can't handle criticism. Like, if someone says anything about you, you just shun them. Because you've been criticized your whole life by your parents. They nagged you. They tell you how messed up you are. And so it just triggers you. Or some of you, like, when you see your marriage turning out really weird, like, it, it, just, it really shakes you because you see your parents' marriage being reflected in your marriage. And you don't want your marriage to look like your parents' dead marriage. What's going on? It's your past experiences. It's, it's shaping how you're viewing your life how you make decisions, how you choose to do things, how you avoid things. And this is where Jesus, he's inviting us to trust in something greater than your personal experiences. He's offering an invitation where he wants to give us a new story. A story that tells us, hey, you're not, you're, yeah, you might be messed up. In fact, and people around you are messed up, but you know what? All of creation is actually kind of messed up. All of creation is messed up and broken. But there is a God who has not given up on you and has not given up in this creation. He plans to redeem all of it. It started with the promise to Abraham. It was fulfilled when he sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus came to this world and took on the curse of this world and the curse that belonged to us. And he took it on his death on the cross. And now Jesus, he invites us to, if you, if you trust in him, follow him now. He wants to show you a new way a greater story for you how to, you to live and how to shape your decisions and how to navigate through life. And it's hard because we, we, we want to trust ourselves. We want to trust in our experiences because we've, we've experienced hurt and pain and danger before, but Jesus is like, no, 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 like, let, trust my reality better than what you're trusting in now. That's what the Bible is an invitation for. I remember I saw a, a friend, they had a funeral for their parents and it was like the saddest funeral. I mean, their parents, were, they were older, but it was still like, you know, they had cancer, so it was very unexpected. And the main like, kind of anthem I kind of heard from my friend was, my life, this is typical, like my life is just filled with losses. I lose people, I lose people, and now finally I lost my parents. So sad. And you can't help but just feel sad for them because that's, they're, they're shaping everything based on their life, how they feel with losses. Whereas I have another friend, they lost a child, and they had a funeral. So sad. And this person, the main theme, that the main way they were sharing with me was, you know, my life, you know, this is horrible, and yet I cannot wait to see him again. I cannot wait for the day where I can see my baby boy, who I couldn't be with long, 
that I could be with him for eternity. I can't wait for that day. And when you see that, like, what's going on there? Something is shaping the way you interpret your life, how you view and navigate reality, and the default for all of us is our personal stories, our personal experiences, because that protects us, that helps us know, be in control. But the Bible is meant to be this crazy journey. Like, there's a story that you are invited to adopt that's even more true than your personal experiences in life. And when you read it every single day, it has potential to become more and more true for you, more and more for you to trust it. And so as a church, as I invite the praise team up, I just want to take a moment to pause and really reflect on whatever it is that's causing us to shape our life, whether it be, for some of us, it might be, that's true, it's our past experiences, or it might be, for some of us, no, there's like, the, like my family of origin, or my goal. Like something's happening that's causing us to not really trust this, but to trust something else. But I really want us to pray and take a moment, like, wherever you're at, or you might not even have anything to say, but just meet God with where he's at and seek, well, what, what is he trying to say to me? What is it, why is it so hard to trust in this? What do I need? What's the pain points even of what I need this for? Let's just take a moment to pause and to have an honest conversation with the Lord, an honest time in his presence, just to be in his presence, because God wants to invite us to the story of scripture a greater reality of how to live our lives that's more than what we've gone through. And so if I could just invite us to take a moment to pause in light of everything we heard, and I'll close us in prayer, and then we'll have a time of singing in response. So let's pause and pray, and then we'll sing a, a song in response together.